0: Good morning, everyone. I'll get rid of this. Okay. Glad to be here this morning, and glad to see all your faces. Um, <clears throat> this morning, our the main text um, comes out of Matthew twenty-one, one through eleven, and it's the one that's often looked at for Palm Sunday. And and Andy and I kind of talked about this this morning. And the fact that you know these are the types of scriptures that Easter, Christmas. All these scriptures you know, we look at every year, we look at these events every year and you wonder, okay, what what new can you really pull out of what uh, what has been said before? And um, sometimes that's a little difficult, but as Andy said, it's a good reminder. We always need to be reminded of what happened and what took place and, and uh, how that affects us and what that means to us. Um, and my message today really is... A little bit of a continuation of what Glenn spoke about last Sunday, which anybody remember what Glenn spoke about last Sunday? Know what the bulletin said on the front last Sunday? See, there we go. There's a perfect example of not remembering. We can't even remember a week ago, right? No. um, He spoke about uh, serving others. And and actually the bulletin on the front of the bulletin had said the hands and feet of Jesus. So... um, that's the direction uh, that I'm going. I may not get there right away, but that's the direction I'm headed this morning, um, talking about serving others. Um, let's just pause for a prayer. Lord, I just thank you that we can gather here this morning. I pray that um, what I say and and what I communicate uh, glorifies you and you only. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read Matthew... Um, 21, 1 through 11, which is um, called the Triumphal Entry. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Just a couple things that I want to mention or a few notes that ha- might help us understand this scene, what's happening. I, one of the things I found interesting um, when I was studying this too is a reminder that the book of Matthew has 28 chapters. And um, Matthew covers Jesus' life um, in those 28 chapters. But the first 20 chapters are spent for his entire life up until the last week of his life. So it takes 20 chapters. And then the final eight chapters really cover his, the last week that he spends uh, before he's crucified. So almost a third of Matthew uh, is spent um, just on that last week of Jesus' life which says a little something, right, that it must be pretty important and those events of that week um, must be pretty important if he he spends that much time on that. Um, And one of the things um, that works out actually well um, was if you would read a chapter a day, starting today with chapter Matthew 21, and read a chapter a day from now until next Sunday, you get those eight chapters in and you get to see what happened this week during Holy Week. So I encourage you to do that. The city of Jerusalem, at this uh, point in time, had a population of around 30,000. But because it was a Passover season, it's believed that there were as many as 150,000 or more people in the city that came to celebrate. So um, if you think about size-wise, you're talking about twice the size of champagne at that point in time with everybody that was there. And Jesus' ministry had been going for about three years. Many had heard, seen him, seen him speak and perform miracles. In fact, it hadn't been that long since he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, better uh, yeah this was a celebration of joy i mean the crowds a large crowd had gathered his disciples were with him and everyone was shouting and praising him uh, the fact that the crowd laid down uh, cloaks in his path and waved palm branches shows that they believed him to be the leader or king uh, that they expected lying cloaks down on the path was a sign of of submission to a king. And the palms symbolized nationalism and victory. But as we know, uh, Jesus was not exactly what they were expecting. And I believe at this point, very few, including the disciples, fully understood what Jesus was about to do. Yes, Jesus did bring physical healing and hope, but he is about to do so much more. He is about to become the sacrificial lamb that will make eternal life possible for everyone. And there's three different areas in the scripture that I want to kind of point out that help us realize that Jesus was truly the Messiah. The first is when he sends two disciples to get a donkey and a colt for him to ride into town. Verse two says, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Now, if I was one of the disciples, or I think if I was one of the disciples, this is what I might question. I mean, I, I think I'd question that. Well, how do you know uh, that there's even a donkey in town when we haven't even been in town? And I would always say I, I need more of the directions. You know, don't tell me just to go to town and pick up this donkey. We're in town. Can't you at least give me a street name or something? Um, because, uh, yeah, I need to know where I'm going. Um, and not only that, you know, they 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 didn't have a GPS like we do today uh, to head, to go into town and find something. So to me, this statement proves his divinity as God's son, the true Messiah. No one who, uh, the one who knows us fully and completely and the one that nothing is hid from. Who else could be able to tell you just to go get a donkey and know that it's going to be there and expect them to know where to go and where to find it? Um, and why is it that Jesus needed a donkey to ride into town anyway? They were within a mile or so of town. They weren't that far away. They'd already traveled a little ways. Couldn't he just walk the rest of the way? And what was the purpose of getting the donkey? Whether was, was Jesus tired or what, what was the deal? Well, in verse 4 and 5, it gives us the answer to these questions. And it shows a second way in which this events, event points towards Jesus being the Messiah. Verse 4 says, This took place to fill that what was spoken through the prophet. Matthew here in verse 5 refers to prophecy in Zechariah 9.9, 9, where it says that your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. Not only does it fulfill prophecy, but the donkey symbolizes a reign of gentleness and humility, totally the opposite of riding in a horse. A reminder that Jesus' kingship was not about conquering land and people, it was about being humble and serving people. And that attitude is often uh, ignored by leaders today. I'm going to have to give me a drink. Sorry. And one of the other items that helps us realize that Jesus is a true Messiah is the shouting that takes place by the crowds. In verse 9, it says, The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So what does, what does Hosanna mean? Can anybody tell me what Hosanna means? Any, any thoughts, ideas? We, we shouted that this morning already so what were we saying when we said hosanna well the dictionary defines it as an expression of adoration praise or joy and that's kind of what i always considered it to be and a, a way of showing adoration or praise or joy but as i studied this for this uh, message i found out that the original meaning was not praise or adoration It was instead more of a cry or a plea that said, save us or help us. The crowd shouting here as Jesus used Hosanna, much the same as we think of it today. At that point, the the meaning had changed more to adoration and praise. Uh, They were using that as they welcomed Jesus as the king. The crowd didn't realize that Jesus was coming to also fulfill the old definition of save us. He would save them in a way that they didn't fully comprehend at that point. That lack of fully understanding who Jesus was is made evident in verse 11. Uh, after they ask, who is this? The crowds, the people in the town ask, who is this? The response was, this is Jesus, the prophet from the Nazareth in Galilee. You know, they, one of the things that they didn't have, they didn't have um, Paul Harvey there to tell them the rest of the story, right? Um, We know the rest of the story. They didn't. The rest of the story was yet to come. And so um, they didn't know that he was the savior of the world and that he would die on the cross uh, in a week uh, for their salvation. I want to add two more verses to the scripture today, to the text that was given, and that's the next two verses in 12 and 13. And I want to read those just as, as a point of, of kind of giving us uh, an idea of understanding um, what Jesus is doing and in, in what he's about to do in the coming week. Um, if we remember right, those in, in that, he goes into the temple. Actually, it's the first thing that Matthew records or talks about after he makes his triumphal entry. Now, whether it was that day or the next day or... Um, but it was soon after he was in jerusalem he goes to the temple and he if you remember right he throws out all the money changers and the people buying and selling and um those who uh were were taking uh, money in and out there so um and the money changers are those who can who would convert greek or roman money to coins needed for the temple tax and the temple tax was kind of like our offering and to a certain degree, uh, the temple tax was used to actually keep up the temple. Um, So you would pay a temple tax to help take care of the temple and what was needed there. And then along with that were people who were selling the sellers in that, were people who were actually selling um, animals that were often used for sacrifices because at this point they were still sacrificing. And some of those, the one that's actually mentioned in the scripture is doves. And I find it interesting that they mentioned doves because doves are the things that um, the poor would end up buying as a sacrifice because they couldn't afford cattle or sheep. And so they were selling um, these doves to the poor uh, who, for sacrifice. And the problem with that whole situation um, or one of the problems with that situation was the fact that these money changers and the people selling the animals um were actually oftentimes cheating those who they were dealing with. The people would come; they would overcharge them, or um, you know, or not give them correct amounts um, for the money changing. And so, um, so they were taking advantage of those who um, could easily be taken advantage of, taking advantage of the poor and those in need. And Jesus says in verse 13, verse 13 my house is to be called a house of prayer but you are making it a den of robbers and with that statement we hear jesus proclaiming his authority and his identity you see up until this point point, in jesus ministry he had not fully revealed himself to everyone there were times uh, when he healed people and told him not to tell anyone and in chapter 7, when Jesus was asked to go to the festival of the tabernacles, he didn't go. He said, my time is yet not, has not yet come. Entering Jerusalem, he knows his time has come and his ministry here on earth is about to come to an end. He no longer holds back about his purpose, authority, or identity. Although many still seem to miss, uh, miss it, or even for some such as the Jewish leaders of the time, they would dismiss it and seek to have him killed. When Glenn had asked me earlier um, for the information for the message today as far as scripture and what my thoughts were and where I was going, um, I gave him the scriptures and then I told him, Well, one of the things that I'd like, like to bring out of this passage is the fact that um, thinking about walking towards those in need instead of away from or ignoring them. And the second was that that we, uh, that second was when we do that, we recognize the joy experienced by both the giver and the receiver. Walking towards instead of away from those in need, that was Jesus' entire ministry. I can't recall any story in the Bible where Jesus told someone he can't or won't help them. He always had compassion for those who were hurting. A couple of weeks ago in Christian Ed, um, our lesson revolved around the conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well. In that conversation, Jesus explains, he knows all about her, right? He knows her past mistakes. He knows what she's done. He even knows that she's living in sin now. But that doesn't stop him from showing compassion and offering new life. And she ends up being filled with such joy that she shares the good, goes back to town and shares the good news with others. In today's passage, Jesus walks towards those in need, towards us who are in need of redemption and a savior. And he does this knowing he is also walking towards the cross, having to experience excruciating pain and the burden of all our sins. A reminder for us, that walking towards those in need is not an easy road. Walking away or ignoring them would be much easier and less costly. Helping others costs us time, energy, and so much more. We have to set set aside our prejudice, our pride, our holier-than-thou attitude or righteous attitude. We have to be open to doing things differently than what we are accustomed to or seen as the correct way to do things helping others requires us to put self aside and take on the same attitude as christ jesus the philippians passage that was read earlier today said that christ jesus who being in the very nature of god did not consider equality with god something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant and he became he humbled himself and became obedient to death And Glenn reminded us last Sunday that as followers of Jesus, we are called to put others first. We are to be our brother's keeper. Doing this may be difficult at times, but it is nothing compared to what Jesus did for us. When we put others first, we are spreading the love and joy of Jesus. How many times in the Bible, when Jesus interacts with those in need, do they walk away joyful? Quite often they were filled with so much joy that they couldn't help but tell others about what had happened to them. And this included times when people were both physically and spiritually healed. Helping others brings joy and hope into their lives. And if we do it with the attitude of Jesus Christ, it can provide... um, And if we do it with the attitude of Jesus Christ, we can't provide salvation, but we can point them to the one who does through our actions and words of encouragement. When we put others first, we also experience joy. And I believe that joy for us comes from the fact that we are fulfilling the call God has placed within our spirit. That sense of purpose and doing good for others fills us with the joy of the Lord. And I truly believe that we do, what we do for others directly impacts our spirit of joy on a daily basis. Take some time this week uh, to help someone and see if it puts a smile on your face. Uh, Last week we had um, MCC here to share about the work that they're involved with around the world. Uh, And they do wonderful work in the name of Jesus and I'm thankful for that organization and and the work that they do. Um, But today I wanted to give you another opportunity or show another way in which um, you can help others and be, uh, help spread that joy. And I, I, most of you probably saw the table in the back. It has information about MDS on there. Um, there's a lot of pamphlets there that talk about the different programs we have, so feel free to take that. And look through the books, you'll find um, in two of the books back there, uh, one it talks about the Palm Sunday tornadoes that went through um, and really um, did a A lot of damage in uh, northern Indiana, Elkhart, um, Shipshawana area, when they went through in 65. Um, There's also about the flooding in 93 uh, in that book to the Mississippi, the flooding that occurred there. But I want to go, I want to show some slides here. And just to tell you... Not, I don't know how well you can see the faces of the people, but I guess what I want to point out in some of these pictures is that these are pictures of, of those who have been helped and those who help, the volunteers and the ones who receive. Um, and you'll notice that um, most everybody looks like they're pretty joyful. Most everybody looks like they have a smile on their face. This is actually a house that was built um, down in Mayfield, Kentucky. And this right here is a house that was built um, in Hurley, Virginia. And I'm just going to read her story real quick like here. Her name is Yvonne Reif. um, And um, MDS uh, built a new house for her in Hurley, Virginia. Her story says, at first it was an ordinary day. Yvonne Reif went to the Dollar General early in the morning to pick up a few things before the store got crowded. She says, I never dreamed the water would do what it did, said Rife, a widow who lives alone deep in the rugged mountains of Hurley, Virginia. That day, August 30th, 2021, the remnants of Hurricane Ida dropped 17 inches of rain on the the tiny town. By the time Rife's friend called to tell her water was rising, it was up to her front porch. She was stranded in her home. I got dry clothes, medicines, my purse, my cell phone, and my Dachshund Lucy. Lucy, she said. We went up to the attic, and I sat there with my feet on the bottom run of the la- attic ladder. Her feelings of panic somehow subsided. The Lord was going to get me out of it, she said. I felt like I was in a protective bubble. I'd never been that close to the Lord before. Looking down, she could see flood water rising in the house. She heard glass breaking. The kitchen door fell in, and I was thinking, oh, I'm going to have to clean up, that, all, clean up all my whatnots," she said. Then there was a horrible jolt, and the entire attic section of her home, with her and Lucy inside, broke off and began floating down the raging Knox Creek. I was trying to figure out where I was, said Rife. It took everything I had to hang on and to hang on to Lucy. She floated more than a quarter mile before the attic piece lodged under a railroad trestle. I just closed my eyes and prayed, she said. Then I hollered for help three times. I thought nobody could hear me over the water, she said. Somehow, a rescue worker heard her call for help. Jesus had to have carried my voice, said Rife, who was ultimately plucked out by the rescue workers after handing them Lucy first. Though bruised and scratched, Reif escaped serious injuries. The guy in the ambulance said, you don't know how lucky you are. She said, I'm a walking miracle here. And MDS volunteers are building a new home for Yvonne Reif along with at least six other households in Hurley. Hurley, Volunteers have also built three driveway bridges with three more in the works. Working with the Buchanan County Social Services, MDS is helping those struggling the most to recover from the catastrophic flood. When MDS project director Frank Hoover hears stories like Rice, it causes him to re-examine his own faith in God. Sometimes we think we have our faith and trust, but sometimes I wonder, he said. As he spends week after week in the hollers of Hurley, Hoover has developed a special feeling for the mountain setting. You look at the sun shining on the upper half of the ridge, you look at the mountains, and you think, how great thou art, said Hoover, who often focuses on recruiting young volunteers for MDS work. Just another picture of joy being spread and experiencing joy by both those who give and receive. Um, That is some of the flooding in Virginia. Another homeowner just happy to have have a wall. Some youth volunteers, um, having a good time, and my guess is he—he he, well, he might have been mucking out as the suit he has on. And mucking out isn't really—you don't think of that as a joyful job. Um, this right here is a bridge that um, that MDS built. This bridge—they've started building bridges in West Virginia. Uh, they're actually starting to build them elsewhere too now, some in, in Virginia. Um, they built 110 bridges. And these bridges aren't road bridges, they're bridges that take, f- go from the road across the creek to the house that's on the other side with the mountain behind it. And if you've ever been to Virginia or West Virginia, you kind of know how that is. The road, you have the mountain, the road, the creek, and then another mountain. Um, and so people live on, on in that area. Um, but those creeks, when they get 17 inches of rain, obviously come up a lot higher than they normally would. And this one obviously had some flooding already since the bridge was built because you can see the debris on the bridge. And so uh, they're pretty happy that these bridges uh, are sustaining or, or staying there even after they have high water again. Um, because oftentimes those bridges that are built there aren't, aren't much of a bridge and they get washed out a lot. So there's, um, they have 10 more that, are, that they could build, but they're needing funding for that. So if you're ever interested in working with steel or building bridges, MDS has got you covered. Um, these were, I believe, Paradise, California, is where this house was at. This was a couple who lost their house in Paradise, California. I don't know, you can see it's painted green. It's a pretty bright green, actually. She just said that um, with all the trees being gone, she wanted a greenhouse, so she had some greenery back. There's a group that was doing some mucking out, cleaning up watery debris from flooding and that type of thing. And there's another couple at a at a um, house dedication, their home dedication, and, wall-hanging they received and some things that they received. And then I want to end with, um, with actually, I'm going to show a video um, that is MDS's year in review video of this past year, and um, yeah, it speaks for itself, so um, take a look at this.
1: Hi, I'm Ibrahim Parfait. Uh, Abraham Lawrence Parfait Jr. from uh, Dulac, like, Louisiana, and uh, I lost everything.
0: I think it was around 10, 11 o'clock at night when this actual tornado hit.
1: Every third house still either doesn't have a roof or has a tarp on it. And you'll see that over and over and over again.
0: So this fire in about a half a day's time swept through and destroyed over 90% of Paradise Town, parts of Megalia, this canyon, and Concow. MDS was there. They've got years of experience doing this. So they come in day one. They know what to do. They bring the personnel, they bring the equipment. And it's all volunteers.
1: Then they started showing up in droves, dropping the kids off in the middle of the cold. And these kids are angels. enough to have katie and mary and annie here for a a month with their husbands and friends and brothers martha and elmer elmer's outside somewhere he's working i've lost elmer he's down there working somewhere that's where volunteers and efforts like this come in because if if they see someone working on a house next door or down the street or around the corner it starts saying okay they're coming
0: When they told me they have been through hurricanes also, um, through flooded areas, when the chance came up to home and work this summer, we couldn't say no.
1: The need in this community is large. Times are harder and harder for the vulnerable population,
0: low income and elderly. While we've had three and a half years to recover, we've really had about two years to work because of COVID. And we've all had to deal with that disruption. We've all had to figure out new ways to still engage and still have hope but sometimes it is better to wait because God has something greater. And that's what I did, and it came about. Well, one of the things going on this week is our MDS Family Camp, and it is an opportunity for families with young children to experience service projects and learn life skills for serving with MDS, hopefully, for years to come. I've enjoyed walking in nature. It is gorgeous here. It's really helped me connect with God. I've had wonderful times of prayer, and I just am so thankful for the ministry of Camp Amigo and ways they are helping facilitate these kids to connect with their Creator. What can we do to energize more volunteers for Mennonite Disaster Service? If we can energize local people who do not want to go on longer term trips, how about developing a cabinet shop? We've been here for three months. We have 11 RV couples. There's been a tremendous amount of work completed. All of them were very meaningful. A lot of the cleanup that we're doing here is just what folks did for us up there four years ago. So a bunch of us guys and gals got together, and we just wanted to uh, return the favor.
1: It's great helping other people. It's great the experience, meet new people.
0: New friendships yep, and make new connections. The benefit of volunteering is just finding a meaningful purpose of our life.
1: And I think it's great to get together with other people who share the same kind of passion that you do to help others. It gives me an opportunity to exercise my faith and to show my caring for other people. I would pass by and my husband would be like, they already put this, they already did that. The girls are painting and and these were the ones that did the mudding. Thank God for the Mennonites and so many other people doing awesome things all through this. Isn't that gorgeous? The MDS
0: mission speaks to me. I believe in serving others, and one way I can serve others is helping rebuild a home for someone who is also home. So our being here and assuring them that we love them. We are serving in the name of Christ, and it doesn't cost the homeowner anything if we repair their home. And that has brought a great deal of hope. Strangers come to us. We're in our time of need, And now we can be their strangers. I want to thank every one of you. Y'all don't realize that leaving your families and coming out here to help us, not only us, but everyone else who's had a devastation like this.
1: This is where it will be going and it will remain forever we love it
0: and now we're sitting on a front porch our new home that i'm gonna get the keys tomorrow unless the lord builds the house those who build it labor in vain unless the lord guards the city the guard keeps watch in vain this is god's house this is a sacred house it's a pleasure to be with you
1: all we have is each other in the stars. Jesus Christ, the God, God is the right way. Amen.
0: So you saw multiple different types of opportunities that MDS does um, with RV sites and youth sites and adult sites. And... Um, hopefully that video kind of helped show the joy that is found both in those who give and receive um, in that work. And so I guess I want to encourage you. um, Yeah. uh, If you uh, are looking for a place to serve, uh, I would encourage you to give MDS a look. uh, And I'd like to encourage congregation, this church, to consider even... Every year we talk about our our vision statement talks about building relationships generation wise. Um, And that's one great way to do that um, is through trips like mission trips like this or work trips um, where you can go and and serve side by side. And so uh, consider taking a week uh, onto a traditional site. I, I got a question, how many have here have served on an MDS site, a traditional MDS site where you go for a week work, and then come back home. How many have done that? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, and we have the book, uh, the folder is on the table too of Pilger, uh, the, pro, um, partnership home project that we did. And that was back in 2015. So it has been eight years since, um, we've done anything with MDS. So, um, so yeah, I'm pushing that away. <laughs> uh, and when you go, you never know who you might meet. Um, you might meet some old friends like Wayne and Lois Hucksteller who are serving as uh, project directors in locations. They've been out of Paradise and also down in Louisiana some. And so you never know who you're going to meet when you go as well. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Uh, we thank you for uh, your gift of Jesus, your son. We thank you that... Um, he walked in to Jerusalem, that he rode on that donkey, that he showed us a way to serve, uh, to be humble and to give of ourselves, Lord. May we, may we realize that. May, we, may our spirit guide us and direct us to that, Lord, to him and to uh, those who are in need. May we not turn around and walk away, but walk towards those who need help. And may your love and your joy uh, be brought forth through those efforts. We pray for the ministry of uh, MCC and the ministry of MDS both. Pray that you would continue to provide volunteers and leadership uh, for those to continue and to be able to bless those who are uh, in need. We pray for uh, the meal today as well, Lord, as we uh, fellowship together over food. Uh, thank you for those who prepared that and may they be blessed and and may you bless the food in jesus name amen